BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with Cheap Caribbean Vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. I'm Buzz Knight, the host of Taking a Walk, and we are in Nashville for this episode. I hope you're going to follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you find your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who needs to hear it. Our guest is someone of tremendous influence in the music business here in Nashville and across the country. John Loba, the president of BMG Nashville, will be our guest. John is well-respected among his peers, and he's on a tremendous role with his team and his artists. Earlier this year, if he wasn't already busy enough, he added publishing to his roster of responsibility. And he has a powerhouse label with Jason Aldean, Dustin Lynch, Jimmy Allen, Laney Wilson, and Jelly Roll among his standouts. Let's go take a walk with John Lobot. Well, John, thanks for being on the uh, Taking a Walk podcast. It's so nice to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Excited. You're on quite a roll here. Uh, what are are you most proud of in your in your role as uh, president of BMG Nashville? Number one, uh, and most important, I, I think I'm proud that we are a home for artists who want to paint outside the lines. And... You know, there, there are definitely places that give artists a chance to do that, but I'm proud that we've, we've proved that doing so can not only be artistically rewarding, but um, uh, profitable as well, you know. 
that painting outside the lines can be a mainstream proposition if you fight for those artists who have unique voices and unique perspectives and and hope to connect with a, a large audience. Um, I think a lot of times there's fear in doing that um, and um, I'm actually more afraid of of working with artists who, who don't have that unique perspective and who are a little more safe. I've never really been overly successful with that. So I'm really proud of that, that we are, I think, in this town looked at as the place to go if, if you're wanting to do it a little bit different and, um, and knowing that there will be an entire army in this building fighting for you and who will follow your lead. We're not dictatorial in any censor uh, form. We're continually saying artist first, artist first, artist first, and I think and hope that we back that up in actions, not just words. But that didn't happen immediately in what you were up to. That took no. a while to get to this, right? Without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, when we, when BBR was born, and I was fortunate enough to be here in the early days, um, we um, knew that we had to be incredibly focused and, and not take many shots. Um, we had to pour everything we had just into one or two, three artists, and we were just by the sheer sense of having success with Craig Morgan, who's the first artist we had a top ten hit on, that was painting outside the lines. Even though Craig had come uh, over with me from Atlantic Records, the fact that we went to an independent who, you know, for decades independents had had no measurable success, it was painting outside the lines to think that we could have success. And as we started to get on a roll with Craig, then a a young man by the name of Jason Aldean, who two other labels had thought, you know, were too country or were too rock uh, uh, for the format uh, and had released, and Jason was ready to go, you know, the story's famous, ready to go back to Georgia and drive a Pepsi truck. He came floating into our world, and um, there was just something incredibly unique, and, and I think in... In signing, Jason was born the DNA of this label, of fighting for uh, fighting for an artist with a unique voice who most did not consider a, a mainstream country. And now he, he changed the genre and, and is thought of in that way. So we had, but there was so that was a pivotal moment in that growth you speak of, or that change that you speak of. And we had varying degrees of success, but this new iteration of BMG, BBR, where we are really, um, we are really taking some chances, was allowed to occur when we were acquired by BMG. They very much were uh, a company that deep in its DNA preached artist first, preached being a home for artists who had no other homes. And it was specifically one of the reasons we chose BMG uh, as, our, uh, as our acquisition partner, because of that ethos, because of those values. And in that moment, um, when I officially became the head of, of BBR and BMG, I wanted to send a signal to the community that that things were different and even more so we were a home for artists, special artists who had a voice. 
who had a brand. And um, I had made a statement. I didn't care if I signed another solo meal for solo mail for three or four years because there were so many of them there. I wanted something different. And a postcard of a guy came floating across my desk that was wearing Converse, and he was he was looked like he was uh, doing the splits. Then it was Jimmy Allen. So I went to a showcase, was blown away, then sat down with him, heard him acoustically, and as important, heard his story, and said, I want that to represent what the new BBR BMG is, and it's just, it's grown from there. So we had that success, it gave us more success, and probably as important, our partners, more success in going on the journey with us, and saying, okay, um, they're not afraid to tackle something different and they're going to back it up with tenacity, with resources, with passion. And um, each time you do that, you're asking them to have a little less, you know, a little, take a little less of a chance themselves um, because we've delivered before. So I'm very proud of that as well, that our partners see us as that and give us the benefit of the doubt where maybe even five years ago they didn't. I have chills you telling the Jimmy Allen story. I mean, that is so marvelous of a moment. I have to think before you reach that moment, though, there were probably some dark moments where you weren't sure where this was all headed. Is that correct? I, I always had a confidence when BMG acquired us that we were set up for success. Before that acquisition, we had two um, Achilles heels. We didn't have representation in other genres. We were strictly an independent country label based in Nashville and we had zero international presence. So as we were trying to sign acts, um, our competitors, all they had to have to do is say, hey, do you ever want to have a crossover hit? If the answer is yes, well, BBR is not the place, no matter how good they are country. And oh, by the way, artists, do you have any international intentions? If the answer is yes, then BBR is not your place. And whenever we lost out on artists we wanted to sign, it was always those, you know, one of those or a combination of the two. So I was actually really optimistic when we were uh, acquired. And the fact that they really believed in what we were doing and believed in this artist first stance and believed in strong relationships with managers and following an artist and a manager's lead. I can't say overall there was a dark moment. There were several um, close executive friends in this town um, and in fact the label head or two when they knew I was going to sign Jimmy who said you know we love you and you will forever be on record as Jimmy being your first signing that is a massive risk and and I said why and 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 they and they said you know because of the track record how difficult it is um, to to have success with black artists in this genre and and, and they meant it in the most loving way they're like you maybe that should be your second or third signing you know and uh, the former owner of BBR even had said that he had signed um, a black female um, before he even had the label, just was an investor with her, and talked about all the challenges a few decades ago that he had. And he cautioned me as well. But I thought if I go down swinging, I want to go down 
swinging, making a difference, and taking chances. So I didn't care what it ultimately would be. I still wanted that to be the legacy of BMG going forward and my legacy. So there were definitely a couple of moments where I, because I respect you know some of those people that were you know giving me advice so much, where for a minute it scared me for a bit, but what scared me more as always is not taking chances. Whenever I've played it safe, um, it's never been the right move. Uh, Oprah, years ago, I remember watching her and, and they asked about what what she attributed her success to. And number one, she said, the amazing teams I've always had around me. And that really made an impression on me. And then she said, the other thing is the intuition. Listen to that inner voice. And even if that inner voice doesn't lead you to success, at least you've, 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 you've not sat there and wondered if it was wrong. And in her case, the inner voice was always the right thing, it turns out. So. Well, you're a guy that likes data. I know that. I love data. So how do you balance the, the power of science and data with gut instinct? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a balancing act. It's, as I've matured and been through this, it's, uh, you know, uh, over the many years, um, it's become an easier balancing act. In the early days of BBR Music Group, we had no leverage of big artists. We had very limited financial resources. We had two things. We had the relationships of our staff, um, and we had, and we had some data uh, along with um, some really compelling music. And um, there was a individual back in the day after I had been to BBR for. Um, it, for five or six years, and he said, I don't think there's a better storyteller than your label because you always back it up with facts. And it was, you know, at that point in time, it was sound scan, um, uh, ticket sales, merch sales. Again, we didn't have anything else but relationships in the, in the stories, so we really had to make use of those and really leaned on them. And as an industry in general, the record community is really good at educating our radio partners and then partners beyond in what matters. When I got into the business, I was a, a coordinator at Warner Brothers, and I remember the discussion then was, does sound scan matter? You know, should only, only radio research would, should matter, a lot of radio executives said. And, and they came because the record community uh, in mass kept trying to show why sound scan mattered. They eventually said, you know, yeah, we should look at that data. It's a tool. We should look at that. Then it moved into iTunes downloads. Um, and there was not really an acknowledgement of that for a long time, but through country radio seminar and many articles we and just talking to our partners we educated real well there that moved then it moved on to streaming and at each point in time where there was not much weight given to those specific data points the record community and the radio community got together and 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 educated each other and i think the pendulum swings from not making any difference to solely making decisions based on that. Neither of those are the most beneficial worlds, in my opinion, to live in. And so right now, over the last year, what I've been trying to do is talk to radio, our, our radio friends, about taking chances, paying attention 
to that gut. Um, it doesn't mean you have to play, if you, if you love an artist, if you love a piece of music, it doesn't mean you have to play everything that doesn't have a streaming story or a touring story, but recognize the role. Radio should recognize that role as thought leaders, opinion leaders, setting the agenda. Um, because if you're only magnifying streaming hits, what is the real function there? And a lot of times when you're magnifying streaming hits, you're on the back of something that is maybe six months old. And, and if a station's going on air saying, here's a new song from Hardy, and it's been played for six months, there's a good percentage of that audience that says, that's not new. Now you're a dinosaur. So a big part of what I've been talking about is just that that very balance. And I think there's not a better example of that balance than Laney Wilson. We had a decent streaming story, not spectacular. We had some critical press, not in mass. We, I don't believe we even had any major TV appearances. But radio had started playing um, things a man ought to know. And um, we had put Laney Wilson on the iHeart label uh, meetings one year and then the very next year came back and put her on again to say she's important we haven't had success yet or the success that we want but she's important forget the data this is an important artist and Rod Phillips called me up two days later and said hey um, you obviously put her on for a reason and you're obviously committed to her do you think you can get this current single that's out there. And I said, with iHeart support leading the way, uh, I promise you we will. Because whenever iHeart has given us the chance on an On the Verge act, it's kind of inside baseball, but they're featured act uh, uh, for a period of time, we've always delivered a number one on that act and always followed it up with a top five. So they gave us that chance. Um, the rest of the radio had confidence and and uh, and built this story, and they created the data because they followed their gut. We followed our gut in putting her back in that spotlight. They followed radio, followed their gut, and that this was an important artist. So um, you know, there's some labels that sign primarily based on streaming data, sign new acts. There are some labels, primarily smaller, that sign just based on gut. When I'm signing acts, it's a balancing act. If there's something, Jelly Roll was the perfect example. He had significant streaming data. Um, so I was interested from that perspective. But then I got, as I got to know him as a person and his art and his desire to move beyond, um, to reach an even wider audience, um, it was the data was there, but it took gut to go let's go larger than your traditional audience. So I rambled a lot. I don't know if that, if I answered or not. <laughs> I think you did. And I think it's fair to say that every format of some type goes through this quagmire where the science overwhelms the gut. Agreed. And then it becomes a bit of a stagnation problem. And it just takes someone 
frankly, at uh, a radio position, not being afraid to lose their job and to believe in their brand and how to navigate their audience. Without a doubt. Yeah, that, I could not have said that better. And again, Jelly's a beautiful manifestation of that. He had a rock album called Son of a Sinner, and we had a... Uh, a um, we had a number one record at rock radio with a, a different track and there were country programmers that we were just introducing jelly i wanted to warm them up for this country album and there were three or four programmers that went hey this song son of a sinner that's a country song and and i said well yeah we always thought it but we knew we couldn't you know shove it down anybody else's anybody's throat and we had to warm you up to jelly get to know them we weren't even pushing that record at the very beginning um it was it was three or four stations at country radio who embraced it on their own and and created created that story and 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 um accelerated our entrance to the genre our connection with the genre so and another great example isn't it true that the great programmers tend to assess their marketplace especially if they're in a head-to-head battle and they look at playlists you know gold current and say wait a minute we both can't sound identical without a doubt and then the ones that step out are the ones that kind of lead and as you say set the agenda without a doubt i mean you know legendary stations such as when brian phillips was you know programming in in dallas and and that whole dynamic so so very true and and i and i <laughs> the, the the wannabe radio guy in me always sees those situations and is so jealous or sees a stagnant market you know, where two stations are just going through the motions and doing the same old, same old. I go, man, I'd love to. And I think if I'm ever filthy rich, I'm just going to go buy a station in one of those markets and try to go up against that person. I, I wanted to be in radio in college, and the, the dean of my school said, your content is great, kid. Your voice sucks. You'll never make it in radio. <laughs> and so I didn't know any better. I'm like, okay, well, i got to figure something else out. And then... Uh, um, you know, fast forward, and I see Howard Stern and and some others, not great voices, but amazing content. And I think, man, I really, I missed it. But you missed the opportunity. I Joe. missed that opportunity. So I still, I think, in in some later iteration, I want to, I want to own a radio station. I really do. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that uh, offline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where did you go to school? Uh, Central Michigan University, uh, out in the middle of a cornfield in Michigan. I knew I couldn't get into too many, too much trouble there, and I was going, and I was a finance and economics major because I wanted a business degree, and I thought, well, marketing, I can sort of figure that out. I was terrible in math, and wanted to challenge myself, and it turns out I was really good in finance. I was going to uh, go to New York and get into investment banking, and I think I, I taught a. Um, I helped uh, with a graduate level course, even at Central. It, it, it somehow something clicked, and, and I was in. So, when did you first know, though, you were hooked on the music business? I had there was um, there was a man who we always thought was a family friend. Uh, in fact, he lived with my grandparents, and um, they owned a restaurant together in in Southern California. And uh, after my grandmother died, we found out he was not a family friend. He was my grandfather. And his whole family was from Cookville, Tennessee. So when I graduated Central Michigan, I, um, I 
drove down and, and spent a week getting to know the family and discovered Music Row. And I had always wanted to be in entertainment, but I thought, and, and completely wrong, by the way, as I've learned, I thought, well, you know, the entertainment industry, it's backstabbing and it's full of politics and you have to sell your soul. And in Music Row, I found this beautiful, warm, supportive community. And I mean, just from driving around, I drove around three days, three different days. And I, uh, my mom and stepdad own a farm in Michigan where I grew up and I left and <coughs> went back up to the, the farm and was really conflicted. And my parents were great. They said, just go do what makes you happy. Because I said, I have no skill set. I have no training, anything. But I just feel this desire to be in the music industry in Nashville. So I was out on our uh, riding lawnmower. And um, I had earphones in. And I said, God, I'm so conflicted. I know I haven't been to church very regularly. I'm a hot mess. But please just talk to me. <laughs> like, I need a signal. And I need a very strong signal and not 30 cents. 30 seconds later, Garth Brooks, The River, came on. And I looked up, and I'm like, okay, that was, that was, that was strong. I gotcha. And, and walked in the house and said, hey, I'm going to move to Tennessee. So I moved down here with 500 bucks and, um, and made, it, made it work. So, of course, I told Garth that story, and, he, and he's as wonderful and warm as he is, he said, he didn't take credit. He's like, did you tell Victoria Shaw, the songwriter, that story? She'll love it. I said, no, but I certainly will. But it was your voice um, bringing that song to life. So I have you to, you to thank first for my music industry career. How special. He brought it back to the songwriter. He did. He did. Absolutely. Which is so cool. So in the uh, A&R process, what's the typical length of time from... Uh, discovery of something to pursue to, you know, final signing. Yeah. It, um, we move really slow, uh, comparative to other labels. Um, and we've missed out on some things, uh, in that once in a while I'll, I'll sign really quickly. Laney and Jimmy were, you know, on the spot signings, but, and it's becoming faster because all the data is out there. I just have to move faster. But in general, I want to get to know the music. I want to get to know the person, get to know their heart and their dreams to figure out if I think, if I think we will be a good fit. And then once it makes it through that filter, and the same goes for our A&R department. They go through that same process. Once we go through that filter, then I want to bring in the entire team and get a sense if, if, the artist feels like they fit with that team, and if the team feels like they fit with that artist. Um, once in a while, I'll just throw the sword down and say, hey, we're going, and luckily they trust and follow and, and, um, and, and really believe. But more often than not, it's, it's getting entire team or the majority of team buy-in, and that can take, I mean, I'd say on average it takes two to four months you know, in that process, sometimes longer. There's, there's been, you know, instances where I've said, "Hey, it's not a no, but it's not right now." You know, you need to develop a little bit more. And, and I always say, if you have other opportunities that you think work, certainly, you know, take those. There's an artist right now who um, two or three different labels are are talking to and wanting to sign. And I said, I don't want to hold you up. I said, I don't, you know, I want to make sure we have the bandwidth 
to give you the attention you deserve. And they've, they've now held on for four or five months. They said, no, if there's a chance within the next 12, 18 months, we'll wait. We want to be with you. I said, I can't guarantee anything. So that's more rare than not. I mean, and I encourage people if they've got something on the table, and it's going to be a while for us to, to take it. But, um, but once in a while, they, they will wait. How, how do you provide an environment with your team where you give them the room to voice their opinion even though you have a strong opinion. Yeah, I, I, I hope, and I try to take a check on myself and, and have the team tell me, uh, I hope that they feel that uh, security to, even outside of signing, always raise concerns or bring up ideas and speak truth to power. Because you look at any... Um, you look at any organization, any empire that has fallen, usually it's because those at the top surround themselves with yes-men. And um, those organizations who have longevity have a very strong ethos and a very strong um, set of values and organizing principle, but they encourage really robust conversation and dialogue and and it makes everybody better and you get to different decisions that way even if it is going back to the original um, hypothesis or original uh, intention everything else has been flushed out everybody's had a voice um, and that and that happens you know quite a lot so I was on a call earlier BBR after capital this this, I can. Once this podcast comes out, it'll be public information. But Capital Records over the last 13 years has been the number one airplay label in Nashville, and this year BBR um, was able to ring that bell. So it was um, it was a massive moment for us because that Universal team. I mean, they are you know. Those are our brothers and sisters. They win and they do it with class. And I mean, we love them. So to be able to ring the bell after they've done it for 13 years meant so much to us. And and Country Air Check was asking us about it and, and about the team dynamics. And I said, it's beautiful. It is like a family. They all fight. They all get mad at each other. They all have vigorous conversations and challenge each other. But then they're also there to wrap their arms around each other, to support each other, to lift each other up. And I think that dynamic where everybody's in it together and and you know we can mix it up inside but once we go outside these walls it is a united front um, I think that is one of our core strengths and one of the you know another thing that I'm so proud of I've always I've always said to you know there are absolutely two things that will get you fired number one lying number two not having each other's back it's enough of a fight outside our walls you know we can fight inside but when we go out there the minute I hear anybody saying one thing negative about a member of this team they're done I don't have many rules but that's one of them congratulations on that my god that's amazing <laughs> thank you amazing news thank you so it's obvious your your family members have had a great impact on uh, 
your leadership. Uh, outside of your family, who have been influential folks on the leadership side for you? Yeah. Um, from, the, from the very beginning, Rick Baumgartner, who was at Warner Brothers, he gave me my first two jobs in the industry. He was the VP of promotion for Warner Brothers and he his mother-in-law was a family friend and he said he goes there was no way I was going to hire you but my mother-in-law would have worn me out for, you know, 6 months if I didn't give you the shot and um so gave me, you know, gave me the interview and 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 I uh, got a, a coordinator job at Warner Brothers, and then he hired me at Atlantic as a Southeast Regional, and uh, so he had he, he was he had a big effect on me. Um, it's not like we have a lot of in-depth conversations regularly, but whenever I speak to Mike Dungan, I always um, there's always a nugget of, of of really important truth with him. And I've studied him. I just watched him. I've watched how his teams interact and how he's has that has built that same family atmosphere. I went. I left BBR for three years because um, to start Valerie Music with Scott Borchetta, and uh, I, Taylor was breaking at the time alongside Jason. So we were, you know, there were no independent label success stories, and then there were two at once. So I had told the owner, I'm going to leave for three years and go over there and figure out what he knows. And, um, you know, and, I, and at the time he was considered the best. I wanted to run with the best and prove to myself that I could. And uh, there's no doubt that he sharpened my sword. When I, came, when I left there and came back to BBR, there's something about the number 13. Brad Paisley had had 13 number ones, and it was CRS week. And Jason Aldean was going for, I think, his second or third number one at the time, and uh, or maybe fourth. And um, Skip Bishop was a you know legendary VP of promotion. They had things set up every single night at CRS. They had people out at it's Brad's house, I believe, and Skip's house. They had you know the boat. I mean. They had everything stacked in their favor, and before I had worked with Scott Borchetta, I, I don't like to think I would have rolled over, but I would have potentially made an excuse to myself on why maybe we, we, we wouldn't get it. But leaving that building, I said to our staff, I said, here's the thing, guys, that streak of 13 comes to an end now. Every time they punch us in the mouth this week, we're going to punch right back. And I usually don't speak that violently or forcefully, but it was it was Scott's intensity and Scott's never say die that I I, I think I saw up close and, and and did you know I'm very I'm a very emotional guy and I'm a very um, you know in some senses I think I was soft and and Scott toughened me up you know so give him credit for that. Joe Galante, you know, a legendary record executive, has been so instructive for me um, since the BMG acquisition because he, you know, he knew the German culture well. He knew the BMG systems well, and um, you know, he for you know most of his reign was 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 considered the absolute best, and so. And he's always been so gracious with his time. Um, he's been a very trusted um, 
advisor. So, and then beyond that, um, pastors and and friends, Joe Jamie Har, who um, is our EVP, um, has always, you know, we really create accountability for each other, and our really strong sounding boards for each other and where we always know we can get the the real real the truth the unvarnished truth from each other Jim Ed Norman um, I will I'll never forget again he was when I got to Warner Brothers where I started my career they had seven platinum acts in one year and so he was incredibly busy I've I had more interaction to him with him after Warner Brothers um, than when I was there but I will never forget I was at, I was there about six months, and I got in the elevator with Jim Ed and his general manager Eddie Reeves, and I was talking about all these great things over the first six months that had happened with Faith Hill and Travis Tritt and Dwight Yoakam and Jess Foxworthy, and as we're going up to this you know the second floor, the general manager said, "That's why we hire young kids like you." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "To remind us how great this business is." And I said, you've got to be reminded how great it is. And he goes, give it 10 years, kid. You'll understand what I mean. Eddie got off on the second floor. And Jim Ed and I went up to the third floor. And he looked at me. He said, don't listen to him. He goes, he doesn't know what he's talking about. If you love music, if you love people, and you love creating moments, memory moments, you'll love this business for the rest of your life. And I swear to you, every single time I leave my house, every morning when I head to Music Row or head to the airport to get on a plane I think of Jim Ed saying that because I love this business now more than I ever have and every day it just keeps uh, increasing I, I am so damn blessed I can't believe that I get paid to do this to you know, give to go fight for, for others art and in the process create moments for an audience that they will remember for the rest of their lives. Thank you for creating a memory moment here. Thank you for the amazing music, your leadership, and your generosity being on Taking a Walk. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, 
assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with Cheap Caribbean Vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.